the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I know a place where we can go to lay the troubles down eating your soul. This is Crosswalk, Colorado Springs. Now, your host, Eric Cartier, Senior Pastor of Rocky Mountain Calvary Church. Like a tide, it is rising up deep inside a current that moves and makes it come alive. Welcome to Crosswalk, Colorado Springs. This is Pastor Eric Cartier. Thanks so much uh, for listening. Well, and you're not stuck in traffic today. I'm really excited about today's show. I have Ross Wright with me, the Executive Director of Hope and Home. Ross, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. You having a good day? Having a great day. Awesome. Well, adoption and foster care is something that I'm passionate about, but even more so, it's close to God's heart. And so we're excited to have you in. And would you share just a little bit of background of of Hope and Home and your guys' mission and vision? Well, Hope and Home started almost exactly 25 years ago. In fact, Mm -hmm. this next year is our 25-year anniversary. So we've been around for a while. We started out of First Presbyterian Church when um, a guy that is my best friend and the founder of Hope and Home, his name is Dr. George Cresswell. And Dr. George Cresswell, as a doctor, had a number of kids in treatment that didn't have families, didn't have homes, and they were languishing away in residence or treatment centers. And so he wanted to find a home for these kids that didn't have homes. And he started with his church. And so what he, he started doing is he started going to church wearing a big button on a shirt that said, ask me about this child. And that was the beginning of Hope and Home. He went to a Sunday school class, a group called Pathfinders, and he took pictures of these kids. And he, he ultimately got them invested and involved in these kids that were living literally in a residential treatment center behind cinder block walls and high big fences outside. And they didn't get to go out very much. And they were living in these really d- deplorable situations. And he got his Sunday school class to wrap around some of these kids, uh, they wanted to go to church. And so this school, uh, or excuse me, this, this church, First Prez, had uh, members that would take kids out of the residential treatment center and take them to church. And as they did, they got to know these kids. They wanted to make sure they had church clothes, so they went and helped them buy clothes. They took them to nail salons and got their nails done, got their hair done, and they started falling in love with these clothes, or with these kids, rather. Yeah. And and Dr. Cresswell realized that, um, you know, kids need more than haircuts. They need more than getting their nails done. What they need is a family. Yeah. And so he started talking to this church group about, you know, we got to get licensed through the Department of Human Services And if we get licensed as foster parents, we can get these kids out. And so he started doing that. He got members of First Presbyterian Church's um, Sunday school class. It was Pathfinders and Dawn Treaders. And he got them licensed. And as a a result, they started taking kids. And I think in that first year, uh, over a dozen kids were rescued from the foster care system and placed in Christian homes. Wow, that's awesome. What a powerful and beautiful beginning. It, It really was. That's amazing. 
Can you kind of share with us the need for foster care and adoption? You know, when we think of the state of Colorado, you know, how many kids are out there needing to be placed in foster care and needing a permanent home? Yeah, the numbers are actually staggering. There's over 5,000 kids mm. here in Colorado that are in foster, foster care. And what we want to see them achieve is what we call permanency. We want them to find a home that will adopt them, or we want them to go back to the homes they came from after the homes they've come from have worked through the issues that got the kids removed in the first place. So that's what foster care is all about, being in a, a, a home for kids that can't be with their biological parents, and if they can't go home, then adoptive homes. But like I said, there's as many as five and 6,000 kids mm. in this state, and the state estimates that we are short 1,200 homes. So we, wow. are, we are needing homes uh, for all these kids. Now, to add, add to this, um, two years ago, the Family First Prevention Services Act was passed, and this changes foster care radically for the first time since um, the, the, the 50s. I mean, this is a radical change, okay. and, and basically what it does is it closes residential treatment centers and group homes all across the country. Hmm. So when kids used to live, like I said earlier, they languished in these residential treatment centers, those have been closed. And so okay. thousands of kids that were in these treatment homes have now, as of October of last year, now they're pressed into the in, in, into foster care, and there's simply not enough homes. Okay, so that's fairly recent that those group homes got closed in right. Colorado. So the need for foster care has gone up exponentially. Sky high. Yeah, okay. sky high. We get referrals at Hope and Home for um, literally hundreds of kids a month that we can't take, and that just breaks our heart. We, we license as many as 10 new families a month, and yet we're not keeping up with the demand. If I understand it right, in El Paso County, it's private agencies that place kids in foster homes, which is a little bit different than other parts of the country. Is that correct? That's right. Colorado is one of only nine states in the country that is licensed by the the state and administered by the county. So let me say that again. Licensed by the state, administered by the counties. That means the state gives the license, gives permission to the 64 counties and about 40 programs like us called CPAs, and that's not Certified Public Accountant, that's um, a child placement agency. So the state gives us the license. We're acting as in, in, in effect as the state, and then we contract with all 64 counties, and they call us when they need a home. And our job is to go out and recruit, license, train, and then support the families that will be getting these kids. Okay. So someone listening, if their heart's been touched and stirred and they've been thinking about foster care or adoption, what's the beginning of that process? How do they get involved? Well, like you said, in Colorado, we have privatized foster care. Okay. And so organizations like Hope and Home are the where are where you want to call. You give us a yeah. call and we will walk you through the whole process. And we, even though we're a private agency, a Christian private uh, agency, we will find um, these families, and then we will give them a state license. So you get your okay. state license through a privatized agency. And it's really simple with us. You just either call us on the phone, 575-9887, or you look mm-hmm. at us um, online at hopeandhome.org. And we have people standing by to take your call all day long, and we'll call you first thing the next day because we're desperate. We're okay. desperate to find good parents. Yeah. So say you want to be a foster parent. It, it, 
I'm sure there's a process that you go through. Is there classes that you take and home studies that you go through, those types of things? Yeah. The first thing you do is to make the phone call. And that's the yeah. hardest part. People yeah. are so reluctant. I don't know if I want to jump in. I might yeah. get it over my head. And the first thing I want to say to people is just do it. If you feel called, make the call. Yeah. And once you've made that call, you're going to reach the nicest person that you've ever talked to. They're going to talk to you for about an hour on the phone about all the things you're worried about and all the things mm. that you wonder about. And then they're going to schedule a time for you to come in and have a consultation or a tour. You'll tour our building. And at the same time, you'll talk to a licensing specialist and they'll explain everything to you. Everyone mm. always has lots of questions and they'll explain every single thing that you want to know. And after that's done, if you do want to do this, you want to move forward, you fill out an application. And once you fill out the application, then it's about a 90-day process. Think of it as two 45-day semesters. Okay. That's pretty quick. That's quicker than what I would think, 90 days. So that goes that goes pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. We've, we've shortened it on purpose because the need is so great. Okay. It used to be more like six months. Yeah. We're going to head to a break here in just a minute, but I'd like to talk about how we go from foster care to adopt to foster to adopt and how that process is all uh, set up and and moving and working. Crosswalk, Colorado Springs on 100.7. The Word. Welcome back to Crosswalk, Colorado Springs. Thanks for joining me today. Hope that you're doing well, enjoying all the beautiful weather that we're having here in Southern Colorado. Remember, Crosswalk, Colorado Springs does turn into a podcast wherever you find your podcast. And today, I've got a special guest with me, Ross Wright, and we're talking about foster care and adoption. Where we left off was foster care, but how does that lead to adoption? And, and do you foster first and is it then transition to adoption? So if you could explain that process to us. It, it's not a simple process. It, it's fairly complicated. And you could probably imagine all the different circumstances that occur that put a child into foster care. Um, the two most common ones are abuse or neglect. So I'll just use as an example, El Paso County. Here in El Paso County, as many as 12,000 calls come into the Department of Human Services uh, with concern about abuse or neglect of a child. And Mm. they they go out and they investigate all of these reports. And of the 12,000 that get reported, about 500 have to be removed from their parents because there's just no other choice. Either the abuse was so severe or the neglect was so severe, or there's what they call imminent danger of something happening to that child. And they feel like there's nothing that could be done um, other than removal. There's no other option. There's no treatment plan they could put in place. There's no relative they could put the child with. So we're kind of a last-ditch solution for the most needy kids. So these kids are then placed into foster care, and they they show up literally 24-7, and usually in the middle of the night and usually on a weekend, we'll get a phone call, say, mm. at 3 o'clock in the morning, we'll hear there's three kids that have been removed. Can you, um, can you, have a, can you find a family for them? And at that point, we make phone calls, and we find the family that fits the most, and the family then goes out and picks up these three kids. 
Now, the goal at that point in time is what we call reunification. What okay. we want to see is that child, go, those three children, go back home to their parents or, if they can't, to a relative because we don't want to take them away from their world. We want them to be in the parents that, that, that birthed them. We want them to be yeah. in the community that they're in. We want them to be in the families they came from. But when that doesn't happen, when there's just no way to make that happen, um, what's called a, a – a, a, Court hearing for termination of parental rights occurs, and they ter- they terminate the the rights of those parents, and then they look for uh, the next best option, and that's usually the foster parents. And at that point, it triggers um, the adoption side of things, and then start going down the process of adopting, and that takes about six more months for them to get adopted by that family. Okay. Yeah, it's, it is quite a process, and rightfully so. It's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is. And sometimes people get upset that it doesn't happen quicker. But, you know, I'm really happy to live in a nation that doesn't take people's children away easily. Right. I want to live somewhere where the, the biological parents are given every possible option and, and all the support they can possibly get because I want to see them win. I want the biological parents to win. And if they can't, and there's just absolutely no way to return that child home, then I want that child to find permanency. And if they can find it with a grandparent, hallelujah. If they can find it with a relative, that's the best choice. But ultimately, if there's no other option, then the foster parents are a great choice. Yeah, right. I think of James one twenty seven that says pure and undefiled religion is to visit the widow and the orphan in their their suffering, and God really puts it where the rubber meets the road, and adoption really displays the gospel. We're we're all adopted by God when we trust Jesus for salvation, you know, and so adoption really extends from God's heart uh, for us and seeing every life as being valuable and, and important, but. But adoption and foster care is a calling. I think, you know, it's not for everybody, uh, but for those that are stirred in that way, it really does express the heart of Jesus. I think when you think of it that way, it changes things. Um, there's a lot of reasons to get involved in foster care. Some people do it because they, they need to make ends meet. Um, and some people give those people a hard time, like you're just doing it for the money. Um Usually not the case, but that's not a bad thing either. Mm-hmm. If, if you have a family that's a g- really good family and they'd, they'd rather stay home with the kids and they'd rather take in other people's kids, then they find a way to make a living at that. That's called vocational foster care, and, mm. and that's okay. Yeah. Um, Hope at Home really is more of a missional foster care agency. Our families do it out of a sense of mission. As you said, they feel a calling, and that yeah. calling isn't always easy. Right. <laughs> the calling yeah. isn't always, you know, um, sugar and spice. It's 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 tough sometimes. Just like yeah. being a parent is tough, right? Yeah. What would you say some are the obstacles or challenges that foster care families experience, or you know, adopting? I think uh, sometimes when people are adopting, there's this idea that it's just always going to be rosy, and and I've heard it described that uh, kids when they've come out of an abusive or neglected home that they come with suitcases of, mm-hmm. of, of issues of hurt and pain, and those are going to get unpacked over time. So there's going to be some challenges. You know, How would you describe some of the challenges maybe in, in foster care and adoption? Well, I think you nailed it right there, that kids come out of trauma and they carry with them that trauma. Their body carries the trauma. That trauma is inside of them. And that's one of the reasons why the government recently has has moved towards a, a 
a, a process that we call trauma-informed care. In fact, I wrote a book in um, 2008 called Kids in Crisis, and I really, really pushed for parents to be better educated and to understand that when kids come with these suitcases, as you say, um, it's our job to help unpack those suitcases. Mm. It's our job to give them a, a, a healing family, a healing environment. Now, the kids will have therapists, they'll have doctors, they'll have people that uh, work in, the, in, in that realm. We don't ask our foster parents to be therapists. But what we do uh, encourage our families is to understand the therapeutic process, to understand that when a child is being defiant, they're not a bad child. They've had bad things happen to them, right. and that causes their behavior. And when we think about behavior as communication, as, as it, them acting out what's going on inside of them, when they're feeling traumatized, when they're feeling triggered, when they're feeling like they are helpless to affect their environment, then we see temper tantrums. And when temper tantrums are thrown by 17-year-olds, they scare us. But right. they're still temper tantrums. And they're coming out of a place of hurt. So you're exactly right. That's one of the big challenges. And that's one of the things Hope and Home does really well. We have a, a professional education department um, led by Jackie Thurman and um, uh, Julie Meekum, and they're phenomenal mm-hmm. at understanding this process and teaching it to parents. Okay. But I, I would not encourage anybody to go to an agency that doesn't have trauma-informed care at the core of their organization. So if you decide to do foster care or adopt and you go through Hope and Home, you're not going to be alone in the process, and you're going to have support. And as you hit some of these challenges, you're also going to be educated on What's going on, how to deal with it, and how to how to help nurture a child through that trauma. You hit the nail on the head. Every single agency has something that they brag about, something that makes them unique. What's their niche? Hope and Home is a, is the only community-based foster care agency in Colorado. We're the only one that is community-based. And what that means is we run 26 support groups a month. We have a lot of activities. We have a lot of groups. Uh, when you're in support groups with us or when you're in training, your kids are in our child care center. We have over a 1,000 kids in child care when their parents are doing activities or in classes or in support groups. You're wrapped around with this community. It's, we have a thriving online community. And so our families feel completely completely connected to each other and able to support each other. And that's really the calling card of Hope and Home. We're the only one that does that. That seems like a really big deal because God has designed community to be so powerful. You know, like I'm not a kind of person that will go work out by myself, uh, but the gym that I go to has community workouts and it's really doing it together with people that makes the difference, you know? And so I imagine that that has to play out a, uh, for the families doing foster care and adoption and for the kids to have that support from, from community. That's exactly right. Our families tout this as the main reason that they're together because they're in with other Christian families and they have the support. Uh, just for example, if you want a date night, you can't put a kid just on the corner. You can't leave them at home by themselves. You can't hang them up on the wall. You have to have them in a certified home. So that's where the other families kick in and support each other. Right. You're listening to Crosswalk. We're going to head to a break. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Crosswalk Colorado Springs. Thanks for listening. Hope that you're doing well. Today I have Ross Wright with me. We're live in studio. He's the executive director of Hope and Home. And I'm really getting an education today on foster care and, and adoption. So really appreciate you coming in. We left off with what really makes Hope and Home uh, unique. And I didn't realize this, but Hope and Home is throughout the state of Colorado, not just in El Paso County, but is this philosophy of community. You're not going to be alone uh, as foster parents, as adoptive parents, and you guys having uh, support groups. And you were you were sharing that when you, you have foster kids, you can't just go find a, a babysitter because it's against, against the law. Uh, so explain that a little bit more to us and, and how your support groups work. Well, the support groups are an extension of the organization, and we have a group of foster parents who have been there for a couple of years, and they become what we call our leadership foster parents, Mm -hmm. and they run the support groups. And that's essential because you want people who have been there, done it, talking to you in your support groups. You don't want staff members there. There's always a staff member on hand to answer a question if, if, if you have that. But the most important thing is to know that you're in a group with other foster parents. They're going through the same stuff that you're going through and to have people there in a position of leadership. They've done it for a couple of years mm-hmm. so they can help you understand that what you're going through isn't scary or maybe it is scary, but it's not unique. And it, it, there is an end. There is a way to get through it and you'll survive. Right. You know, think about foster parenting is parenting on steroids. Mm. And one of the challenges to it is that you can quit. Mm. You can quit. Right. And, you know, my daughter just gave birth to my first grandson. And, you Congratulations. Know, she, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, the shout out to um, Alex, Nick and Archer. But um, they can't quit. You know, you don't have a choice. You're up at four in the morning. You're up at four in the morning. Yeah. Well, foster parents in the back of their mind is always the thought, you know, we could quit. And if you ever see the movie Instant Family, there's a delightful scene in that movie where they're brainstorming how they quit and how they explain that they quit. Every (laughs) foster parent thinks about quitting. Yeah. You know, the the difference, again, is if you're a biological parent, you don't have that option. So you just have to truck through. Um, Knowing that you can quit is sometimes a a, disadvantage. Ability. It, it, yeah. it sometimes works against you. Um, it, it's how kind of the enemy gets in between your life and, 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 and kind of divides you uh, mm-hmm. between yourself and, and your husband and maybe even your family because it creates doubt. It makes yeah. you wonder, do I, do I want to do this? That's what support group's all about. It's mm. being around a bunch of people where you are vulnerable and you are transparent and you can say that. You can say, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Right. You know, I have doubts. And then a group of people says, we did too, but it does end and it does get better and you can yeah. do this. You can do this. And so support group is a, a critical piece to this. And and the other part of it of support group is that the children come in for childcare and we make sure that they're having a blast. Mm-hmm. Our, our, our kids want to go to support group. We're not dragging yeah. them out into the car and making them go to support group. Mm-hmm. They want to go to support group because we have activities and events. So we do all kinds of stuff for the kids. And this is essential. If you want to do foster care, you've got to support the parents. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's awesome. That's really good. I think a lot of people have a misnomer about adoption. They think adoption's really expensive. And I know that that's the case internationally, but if you decide to adopt in the state of Colorado, what kind of financial costs are, are connected to that? Adoption through foster care has no cost. Okay. It doesn't cost anything financially. There's an emotional toll, but mm-hmm. I think there's an emotional toll on having your own kids or 
any other form of adoption, whether it's international adoption or right. it's um, uh, private adoption, there's always an emotional challenge to that yeah. uh, because you're making yourself available. You're, you're opening yourself up. You're being transparent. You're taking a child that you don't know if you can keep and mm-hmm. you love on that kid. And sometimes it's tough because yeah. you have to give that kid back. Right. Um, and, and parents a lot of times will say, well, I could never be a foster parent because I can't give a child up. You'd be surprised. You know, when you can love on someone so much that you can watch them go home and pray for them and pray for the biological parents, that changes you and it makes you a better person. Mm. It's a challenge. Right. But when you end up uh, with that one in five, approximately, I would hope at home, one in five uh, will end up uh, getting adopted. And when that child is yours and the gavel comes down and that child is yours, there is no financial um, cost to that. In fact, there's an ongoing stipend plus you have Medicaid until that child turns 18. So, and there's and there's also um, some good federal breaks in that in terms of your uh, your taxes. Uh, you actually get a tax um, credit when a child is adopted, and I think it's about twelve thousand dollars. And these things are important because raising kids are expensive, and we right. want to see kids get adopted. Right. I can attest to that. We've got four kids. Yeah. What are some of your favorite God stories that you've seen on how God's used hope and home? Well, the most amazing thing is when we get to watch children growing up and we could see the transformation. And and one of the things I always say to my foster parents is you're standing at ground zero in, in terms of being a witness to the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, watching these kids go from where they were to where they are is just miraculous. And it gives you goosebumps to watch these mm. kids um, that, that may have been really in a place of hurt transformed into just these wonderful kids going forward in wonderful lives. Uh, we had a girl, Sarah, who came, who actually was here in El Paso County. She called DHS up by herself when she was 14 years old and she had a a one-year-old baby and she was trying to take care of that one-year-old baby in her home. Her mother was bringing in men um, and uh, dangerous men into Mm -hmm. the house. Um, And her father was violent, very violent. She remembers being pulled down the stairs by her hair and she was beat up and she Mm -hmm. was uh, assaulted in many different ways that I don't want to describe, Mm -hmm. but bad, bad things were happening to her. But when she had her son, she made a commitment And a lot of times that's who we are as human beings. We can take the violence ourselves, but we're not going to let it happen to our children. Mm. And so those mother instincts kicked in and she's like, I'm not going to do this. So she actually went down to DHS and initially just wanted support. She wanted um, food stamps and and ways to buy diapers. She learned how to diaper her child on YouTube. And and, and so she was really self-sufficient and she wanted this to happen. And DHS asked the right question. Wait a minute. You're 14. Where, where are your mom and dad? You know, mm. and, and she's like, I'm, I'm trying to make it on my own. And so they placed her into foster care with Hope and Home. And mm. she ended up getting adopted by the family that she was placed into. And uh, I saw her just a couple of days ago. Mm. She has since that time gone off to um, the military. She uh, did four years in, in, in the Air Force. She has a degree in pharmacy and she's studying to become a pharmacist. So, you know, just huge success story. 
But it came out of a very, very dark mm. and very ugly place. But what we know about Christ is that yeah. the, that's the whole story. Right. You know, that, that for every Friday, there is a Sunday. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, when, when we see this kind of thing play out, this is reminding us that we live in a risen world. Yeah, that, that's awesome. It's got to be so uh, rewarding to see lives transformed and, and see children come out of uh, such a abusive and neglectful situations. Kind of on the flip side, maybe that some don't think about as much, uh, have, I'm sure you've seen uh, biological parents really make a change in this whole process as well, where maybe their, their child's taken out of their home for a while, but it's that wake-up call and, and they end up, uh, you know, making the right decisions and are able to be reunited with your kids. Have you, have you seen that on that side as well? That's the most important part of foster care. And mm-hmm. that's the direction that we're trying to go in. When I say we, I mean the entire industry of foster care, yeah. the federal government, the state government, the county governments, uh, agencies like us. Our goal is to not see foster care as a replacement set of parents, but as support parents and support to not just the child, but the family that the child came from. We have a delightful family in town that that's their their passion. Their passion is to come alongside the, the families and work with those families and get those kids back home and remain a support to them, to be babysitters and uncles mm. to those children after they've gone home, after they've left the foster care system. That is the greatest joy of all, is being able to help these families heal themselves. Awesome. We're headed to a break. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to Crosswalk, Colorado Springs. Ross Wright is with me, the executive director of Hope and Home. If you're interested in finding out more, you can go to hopeandhome.org. In this last segment, let, let's tackle uh, you know some of the, the reasons that come into people's minds of, of why I can't be a foster care or another way, as you described on the break, as, as we know that the enemy is attacking this. How, how does he stop you know kids being in, in a safe environment where they're, where they're loved? Uh, so, so what are some of that opposition that comes into our minds when we're, we're starting to think about foster care and adoption? You know, there are really dozens of good reasons not to do foster care. Mm. You know, now is not the right time. The kids um, are really needy right now. Uh, we've just changed jobs. We're about to change jobs. I don't know if we have enough money. Yeah. Um, you know, our marriage, um, I'm not sure that this will be good for us. I There's lots of really good reasons not yeah. to do foster care. And in reality, there's only one good reason to do foster care, and that is the compassion and the calling for the child that needs it. Yeah. I mean, you can say as much as you want to, I'm not ready to do this. Well, the child that's needing you is not ready to be in foster care either. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to be there either, yeah. you know? And so um, it, it's a leap and it's a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And it's one that um, defies all logic and imagination sometimes. Why mm-hmm. would you do this? Why would you disrupt your family? Why would you go out on a limb? Why would you take a child in that you know nothing about? Why would you do this? And, and the answer is because we have kids that need us to do this and we're called to do it. As Christians, we are called to do this. Yeah. And then what we discover when we do it is what joy it brings to us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, every child that needs to be placed has what's called a placement packet. And our agency, Hope and Home, gets a placement packet on 100 kids, 100 kids a month. Wow. 
And we look at these placement packets and we try and figure out which ones will fit with the families that we have. Hmm. And I've always thought that I'm going to write a book, and I I still think I might, called When a Placement Becomes a Person. Hmm. And you know on paper it's a it's a placement it's it's imaginary it's a, mm. it, it, it's theoretical but when that theoretical imaginary person walks through your door mm-hmm. and they're crying and they're sad and they're scared mm. um and you are the mom that reaches out to them and wraps around them and takes them in that placement becomes a person mm. a real life person with real life fears and likes and desires and you know things that they they foods that they won't eat and mm-hmm. you know yeah. mix and cram all the stuff that right. goes with having a child when that happens it transforms your heart you know, I, I, I love the story of the burning bush because what was the miracle? That the bush was burning? No, the transformation that happened in Moses' heart. That's right. That was the, yeah. the transition. That was the miracle. Yeah. And foster parents tell me all the time when a child melts into their arms and suddenly they realize the gift is happening to them. Mm-hmm. They're not bestowing a gift on this child. The gift is happening to them as their heart melts and transfer and transforms. So foster care mm. is an amazing gift and you don't always see it that way when it comes to the front door. Right. I have some personal experience with this of what you're talking about because my little sister was adopted from the state of Oregon and I was like 12 or 13 when we adopted her and I was a complete punk. I was, you know, <laughs> you're your typical 12 or 13 year old. I wasn't walking with the Lord and I just had a hard heart to the whole uh, process, but my parents really felt that calling and saw it all the way through and, and God brought Heidi into our home. And she was like two and a half years old, blonde hair, blue eyes, and she comes walking through the door and I wasn't prepared for that moment. And my heart just melted for her. And I just had this deep love for her, even though I wasn't walking with the Lord and and really enjoyed uh, her coming into our lives and being her big brother, you know, and those type of things. And you really can't put it into words. I think it's the God factor, you know, when when you do open up your heart uh, where he really is able to come in and, and, and do a special work, but it really is not a placement. It is a, it's, it's a person. It, it's a real person. And unfortunately there's a lot of them out there mm. and they just want to live in a home with parents and they want to live with their brothers and sisters. I can't tell you how many ki- times siblings mm. are split up because mm. there's just not enough beds out there, not enough foster parents. It's a tragedy when a child has to be removed from their parents. It's twice the tragedy when mm. they have to be separated from each other. I'm sure a lot of sibling groups have found a lot of strength in each other when they're in a difficult home environment, then they, they press into their brothers and sisters. And so to be removed from their brothers and sisters is an acute pain for them. We had, we had a family that was removed. They actually reported on themselves to the school counselor and the four of them were living together in, in one bedroom. And I I don't want to get too descriptive of what was happening, but the older sister would sleep on the outside of the bed. So if people took someone from the room, they would take her in the Mm. middle of the night. Mm. And so she was the protector of Mm. the other children. She was the protector of the family. And at one point she looked at her little brother and says, we got to get out of here. And they went to Department of Human Services and they went to the Department of Human Services three times before the department believed them, three different Mm. departments. Wow. the final one was here in El Paso County. 
They removed all four children, and she described sitting in the back of a white van being driven around, and she could hear the person driving the car talking on their cell phone saying, well, could you take the older one and the younger one? Well, how about if you just take the younger one and I put the other three somewhere else? She says she was literally listening to conversations Mm. about how they would slice up the family and move them, and ultimately they ended up with one of our families that took all four of them, and they were able to stay there and be adopted by that family. Mm. What a change that makes when kids can stay together. It's it's really important and it can't always happen. Right. Right. Yeah. So if God's touching your heart for foster care and adoption, please go to hopeandhome.org. Also you can give them a call. There's there's a lot that you can can learn there and see what God would do. There's also ways to support. You may not end up being a foster parent or adopting, but getting approved to where you can do babysitting for someone who's doing foster care. I know there's opportunities to give money to Hope and Home. Uh, Hope and Home is is supported by Christians that have a heart for adoption. So maybe could you talk about that giving piece? You know, how important is the the financial gift to Hope and Home? Hope and Home relies on the Christian community to support it. All the things I've said cost money. You know, yeah. 26 support groups uh, a year, a month, 26 support groups a month uh, cost us almost $1,000 per support group. When you count up all the child care and the food and all that stuff, that's $25,000 a month. Mm. And th- the only way we can do this, the government doesn't give us enough money to do this. We have to raise it from the community. And on top of that, um, our Christian community makes sure that every single one of these kids gets a ton of presents at Christmas. Mm. We get thousands of presents donated. So you give us a call if you want to help by donating Christmas presents, if you want to help by volunteering. Uh, we have a fantastic uh, end-of-year gala that we call the Fashion Show, and that is an event that we hold up in the Broadmoor. And uh, we have about 300 to 400 people attend, and they watch these kids as they are on the runway, hmm. and they actually get to walk the runway <laughs> in, in a moment of triumph. This is To many of these kids, it's the best event they ever had was being in this fashion show. And that way you get to have one-on-one, not one-on-one, but you know what I'm saying, you get to have close-up contact uh, with these kids and see them in their glory. And at the same time, you have an opportunity to give. If if your heart is feeling like you can't be a foster parent, but you want to support somebody who is, uh, we would love to um, have you support us. We'd love to get a check from you. We'd love to show you what we're doing and earn your money. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All this just really reminds me of James one twenty seven, where God says, pure and undefiled religion is to visit the orphan and the widow and their suffering. And so thanks for listening. I hope you go to Hope and Home's website, hopeandhome.org, uh, to learn more about God's doing great things. And Ross, just a fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for joining me and taking your time to come in. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, you've been listening to Crosswalk Colorado Springs with Pastor Eric Cartier. We'll be back with you uh, tomorrow from 5 to 6. Also, you can catch this on a podcast. So have a great night. God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.